Eric, you all set to go? Yeah, I'm good. Cool. All right. Right on. This is going to be good. Hey, everybody. Dave Shemaleski here, Direct Line Media. Uh, welcome back to Behind the Brand. We're doing this every other week now instead of every week. Got a little too out of hand there going every week. So that's what we're doing. And we are brought to you by the famous 60-second video. It's a one-place, one-price flat-rate video package marketing video made simple. Today we have Eric Berg in New England Financial Group. Cool, man. Thanks for joining. How you doing? Thanks for having me on. I'm doing pretty pretty well, all things considered. I think that we're starting to see the, the light at the end of the tunnel from this pandemic, so uh, got got us all in a little bit higher spirits. So. Yeah, so um, um, you've been working from home. How, yeah. how is that? Where, like, where, where, where do you fall in the reopening? Um, so our office is actually, I believe, last week opened back up for us advisors and, and, and planners to be able to use again but it's not open to clients yet so i haven't even gone in <laughs> yeah there, there's no point i so, go there usually to meet with clients. so this uh this jacket is uh just for me yeah this is just for you i i don't this is you know as my clients could tell you i've been doing a lot of maybe i'll wear a dark shirt but <laughs> but, but a lot of t-shirts um you know a lot of shorts <laughs> just yeah. hanging out in the basement um kind of in a relaxed environment and it's working out but um no, I, I've been I've been operating out of uh, out of my house, and honestly, it's been really nice. I've I've learned how much more efficient that I can be when things do get back to normal. There's there's really no reason to uh, have to have a lot of these in person formal meetings that that we always have. So it'll be nice uh, to spend a little bit more time just online with clients, uh, which which will be helpful when we're not all feeling burnt out from Zoom meetings and stuff like that. Yeah, for um, sure. But no, I. For for me, it's been a, a lot of Zoom meetings, so my eyes are feeling it. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. Nice, well, it's nice to be looking at a person. I know, right? Well, I'd spend most of my, you know, in front of the computer, and and uh, who was it? My somebody else was telling me about that. Like their eyes are like, did your eyes bother you? I said, I've been doing looking at computer screens for so long. Like <laughs> it just no, they don't. It was uh, There's no coming back from here. Yeah, it was it was it was it was Feeney teacher. He was right. doing all the right, online right, stuff, right, and he's right. like, yeah, he's. Um, Anyway, um, so uh, had a podcast with with Jamie Sternberg, and your name popped up uh, because you had a, a, a real killer uh, background for Zoom. <laughs> but we had we didn't see it this morning. What? Uh, uh, yeah, I had my <laughs> I, I had my daughter with me. So my, my wife is a, a nurse at uh, Connecticut Children's Hospital, and she uh, um, she works nights, so she's working tonight. So I wanted to let her sleep in a little bit today. Um, and it's just a little easier to, to wrangle my one-year-old in, in my living room than it is in, in my uh, home office, my basement. Um, <laughs> so, so I had her upstairs. My, my background is, uh, again, because I've been... I, so I used to have an office in my house. Like a, a nice, it looked like an office, uh, nice windows everywhere. Um, then my wife and I had a child last year. Um, Congratulations. And that office is now a playroom. And I, <laughs> and I moved my operation downstairs, so uh, the walls are how I decorated them for how I decorate my basement. So I have a, uh, awesome. a, a kind of a remake of, of the Green Monster of Fenway Park on the wall. I have a video, a, video, a, a picture of, of uh, who used to be the quarterback of my favorite football team, Tom Brady. Okay. And, hang, yeah, yeah, yeah. and a few things like that yeah. on the wall, so it's kind of fun. Um, but that's just that's just the behind the couch on my my basement uh, my basement office slash man cave slash uh, sports music studio <laughs> got a lot of stuff going on down there. Awesome. So is that your so you're not is that that's not your main you have an office? Yeah, no, I have an office have uh, right uh, on LaSalle Road. On LaSalle Road, so, so okay. yeah, yeah, we're we're at, we're at sixty five LaSalle. Um, 
which is a really great place to have an office. Yeah, it's huge. Um, it, it can get a little bit dangerous. You got to remember to pack your own lunch, or else uh, it's very, very easy to spend yeah. fifteen bucks a day just easy. going out to all the great restaurants yeah, we yeah. have in the center here. Have you been down to the center uh, since they put the barricades in? I just saw a picture this morning. I haven't actually been down there. Yeah, I, so I went in. I actually was in the center yesterday. I got my first haircut in three months. With this, nice. this feels Looking fantastic. Good, good timing. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't know I was going to be on the on the show when yeah. I when I booked that, but. Um, I stopped at Sock Stars and picked up a gift for my my niece and cool. while I was there, and I parked it at our office and kind of walked through the center. And it's different, but it looks like it, it's going to work out and yeah. kind of hopefully help some of the restaurants out because um, that's such a, a a driver of of our economy around here. Oh right? Someone who yeah. come to to West Hartford for going out to eat, yeah, and, yeah uh, for sure. And we we want these restaurants to really have a good opportunity to succeed and. Uh, they're just starting to open up, and 25% capacity is. I, I don't know a whole lot about the restaurant business, but I know the margins aren't that big, mm-hmm. <laughs> so they kind of pack and stay full all the time, and yeah, um, and it's been difficult. Yeah, that can't be easy going from whatever year a full restaurant because they're always full. I don't care what time time of the week, day of the week you're going down there, but um, you walk up and down the streets, look in the windows, every restaurant is packed, which is really good to see. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and, and now there's, they're going to be able to put more tables outside and, yeah. and serve more people. And, of course, they have to make an investment to be able to do that. But, um, but whatever it takes to, to keep them alive because, again, they're such a great part of our community. So. Yeah, no, definitely. So uh, you're on LaSalle. What, what's sort of your main clientele? Well, first of all, let's back up a little bit. Sure. Let's just tell us a little bit uh, uh, financial advisor. Sure. So yeah. give us a little lowdown about uh, sort of what that is, what, you know, the quick and short of it, and then um, really what's your specialty? Sure. So, um, so I work as a financial planner and a financial advisor. Um, there's actually a, a slight difference between those things. Um, I work with, a, so financial planning is the, is the concept of have people pay you to help them put a plan together. Um, it has nothing necessarily to do with managing assets or nothing to do with um, investing money, um, but it has more to do with just understanding where you're currently at financially, where you're trying to get to, and, and discovering the absolute best way to get from point A to point B. Um, and we do a lot of statistical analysis and help people figure out um, what gives them the, the best possibility of a, of a good outcome. Um, so that's part of what I do. And then the financial, as a financial advisor, I, I help people uh, invest in, and manage their investments. Um, so my specialty is I work with a, a lot of folks who are highly skilled professionals. Um, so by that, I mean a lot of doctors, lawyers, engineers, medical professionals. Um, and uh, the main reason for that is that they're, smart folks they 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 can understand these concepts very quickly but they're also really busy folks and they could use they could use the help um so that's that's the area that i specialize in working in but um also anyone who um who i can get along with and enjoy spending a little bit of time with them i'm happy to help out as a client so nice so do you get involved do you help people like pick different stocks and mutual funds and retirement plans and yeah so so we do a lot of that most of most of my clients um are individuals so i don't do a lot of 401ks of course we do i i have some folks in the office that specialize in that so a lot of times if, if i have someone come in who um you know, is looking to establish a new 401k plan at a, a larger space, then I'm probably going to bring it to uh, to the group in my office that specializes in that. Um, but some of the smaller businesses I do, I do retirement plans for. Um, and 
Yeah, we can help people buy and sell stocks and funds and, and all that stuff. What I'm mostly doing is just managing portfolios, um, some of which I'm custom building for folks, um, some of which are um, kind of model portfolios um, and just kind of mixing and matching the right type of investments for someone. What it's really about is helping people understand their risk tolerance and then helping them maximize the amount of return they're getting on the investment uh, with the appropriate amount of risk. Um, and understanding what that should be and understanding what their expectations should be um, and, and understanding that the, the risk that they have and what can happen. So. Is there, do you have folks, because this would probably be me, right? So do you have folks that just like, okay, here, here's, uh, here's some money, whatever my retirement is. I don't just figure it out because I don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> just when I retire, I want to make sure that there's some money there that I can use. <laughs> I'm, I'm like hand, completely hands off. I don't want to deal with it. Yeah. So a, a little bit of that. Um, I still try to provide education along the way because I just feel like a, um, you know, it, an informed client is a good client and also gives you the best chance of success because um, I, it's my job to pay attention to a client's accounts and, and let them know if, if maybe there's a, a possibility to make a change or if, uh, if there's a change in their circumstances. But it's also important that my clients understand what types of changes in their circumstances uh, warrant a call and, and, and when they should reach out to me and ask me, hey, is there anything I should be doing? Um, so I'm always trying to educate my clients, at least on the types of reasons they might want to reach out. Um, and uh, I like having them a little bit involved in the process. But I also understand the reason I'm being hired is because they don't want to do that. Right. <laughs> so right. it's, it's a balance yeah. um, and, and it's a little bit of both. But uh, so like I mentioned uh, in that group of people I work with, um, engineers are a type of person that they, they do understand this stuff really well. Right. Engineers in general are very good at math, understand systems, understand, you know, how all this stuff works. So they're perfectly capable uh, of doing this. Uh, um, but they just want a little bit of help. They're often, uh, clients in just the financial planning space where I'm just helping them make the best decisions and, and maybe helping them analyze their investments and they're actually managing the investments themselves because they understand it so well. Gotcha. Um, so there's, there's people on, on very different ends of the spectrum there. Were you making a lot of phone calls, um, you know, beginning of March, middle of March? <sighs> yeah, uh, for sure. So, uh, what was I, I believe the very end of March was kind of where this all bottomed out. Okay. I'm still not incredibly confident that we're in the clear yet. Okay. Right. I mean, unemployment is as high as it's been since the thirties right Crazy, now. Right. What um, is it? What is the current unemployment rate? I, I mean, it's, it's in the teens, it is okay. um, which is, I mean, triple what it was. Yeah. It was the, down at know, what, it, 4% or something. Yeah. Somewhere well, and, it, and of course what's, what's really what important to understand about these different economic indicators and uh, ways that they're measured is, um, there's 15 or 20 different ways of measuring unemployment, right? <laughs> and there's, there's very specific definitions and it's important to understand which definition we're looking at. Um, and I don't want to get into too, too many, uh, dry and nerdy topics, but, um, you know, whether or not you're looking at workforce participation and why people might be participating in the workforce or choosing not to, what causes someone to fall off the unemployment. So uh, again, that, that's economics. That's, that's some heavy stuff that, uh, no one wants to hear us talk about, so I sure. won't get into. Sure. Um, but it's important to know that right now there are certainly a lot of people who want to be working and can't. Okay. Um, so that is a problem. There's also trillions of new dollars invested in the economy directly uh, out of recent stimulus. Mm -hmm. So um, that's been really propping everything up. That being said, even though 
the the markets are actually almost recovered to where they were before all this happened um but incredibly volatile <laughs> so, so any yeah. week they could move in either direction pretty significantly you know i've been i've been following that a little bit um it's interesting how you know they everybody's saying that the market's going to tank and it did it dropped but it it it, it didn't drop as significant as i thought it was going to and now well, it it's sort did. of it nearly but it it's was, coming it right was back so while, so right? so what is why is it coming back i mean we're still i mean businesses are kind of reopening but we're not back at 100 percent. there's still a huge unemployment why why you know in your opinion why is that market kind of creeping back up again well um so my field of study uh, was economics more than finance and i think that that does help us describe that more right now finance is really looking at you know why a company is performing well or not mm-hmm. and sometimes from a more macro perspective but um economics is is really looking at um you know why markets in general are doing what they're doing and um well, any economist will always say to any question you ask, the answer is almost always, well, it depends. Uh, and, and unfortunately, awesome. that's kind of my answer to this yeah. question. Um, there's so many factors that are, that are driving things in different directions. Um, but the biggest thing that drives market prices is consumer confidence. And what the, what the market, the price of a stock or the price of a market is essentially is the all of the people invest in that market, it's what they think the value is. That's just, it's as simple as that because there's no, there's no intrinsic value of mm-hmm. the stock. It's just what people are willing to pay for. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what a market is, right? That there's a market for water, sure, <laughs> for sure. water. And, and if you were willing to pay $4 for this, then that's yeah. its price. Yeah. Well, if you that, go to, uh, if you go to what, ex, what is it? What's it? Uh, Lake Comp, not Lake Compounds. What's the yeah. theater here? Uh, the Meadows there. Oh, right, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Then it's worth $12. $12, all of a sudden, yeah. Right? yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, markets are, are interesting and um, elasticity of different products is, is an interesting thing to look at. I, I just realized I'm, I'm starting to use words I shouldn't use in this space. Basically, if, if people <laughs> have confidence that the market or the stocks within a market are worth a certain thing, that, that's what they're going to pay for. I think that everyone all of a sudden has money coming in from stimulus checks and everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, and people are thinking, well, you know, the economy might have been really crushed by all of the stuff that's going on, but I think it's going to get back to this point. So that's how much I think we should pay for it. And what often happens is there's a, a you know, the, the, a lot of people are, are familiar with the phrase, even if they're not familiar with the definition, a run on a market, which is just people selling, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the, the concept is, is that if a lot of people are selling, um, there's more sellers than buyers. And if there's more sellers than buyers, it's going to drive the price way down. Um, and sometimes what happens is markets go down and then all of a sudden there's a lot of people that want to take advantage of that. And there's people with more money. Sure. <laughs> so, so now sure. there's a lot of buyers and there's more buyers and sellers and that drives the price back up. Um, that's the most basic idea of what a market is. Um, and I think that's kind of just how, how we should generally think about it. And then we can think about how all these different individual factors are impacting that. Um, but it's, it's the reason it's so hard to predict is because there's so many different factors. Yeah. Um, and usually um, we're all looking at, you know, these seven things and then something else makes a huge shift yeah. <laughs> and then there's a huge dynamic shift in the market. So so it's really important uh, 
uh, for folks like me, I think. Um, there's, you know, day traders are one thing, but for most advisors and for most of us everyday folk that are looking at the market, it's important not to think too much about what's going to happen in the next month. So, you know, it's a good point. So, um, day trading, you don't, that's not your bag. You no, don't, don't do you that. don't do that. No, I mean, again, we can trade stocks, but I have never recommended a stock, a buy or a sell on a stock or a fund or a market. Uh, based on what I think is going to happen today. It's just that that would be irresponsible, I think, because stock market investing, I think by definition, is a long-term sure. thing to do. And um, if, if you are saying, well, I, I, I need money tomorrow, so let me buy this stock. Um, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, I forget the exact stats on this, but I think, you know, 51% of the time stocks go up every day. So, but, 51. Yeah, but 55% but of the time uh, in one year it goes up. Right. Okay. And we spread that out to three years. All of a sudden, it's sixty percent of the time. Five, you know, five years, it's seventy-five percent of the time. Yeah. Fifteen. I don't think in the if you look at the uh, history of the S and P five hundred lar large company stocks in the United States, there's never been a fifteen-year negative period. Okay. So wow. so it's really so if if you're willing to accept the possibility that there's a forty-nine percent chance you lose money, then go ahead and invest in a stock for tomorrow. But that's to me not good enough odds. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, so uh, so when I'm looking at, at that kind of stuff, it, there are professional day traders and there's money to be made. But even the people who are doing that, they're doing it with so many different things. And that portfolio is is really about what's going to happen in the long run with that portfolio. They're, they're just trying to make these little wins here and there. Yeah. And their finances are probably set up to do that. That's what they do. So however they arrange their, yeah, their day-to-day -day finances. And, and they're riskier right? folks. And the um, risk, yeah. But there's, there's a lot of reasons to do that. What, what I, uh, but yeah, I, I, I really advocate for investing for the long term um, and not trying to follow everything on a day-to-day -day basis. And, I had a lot of clients, for example, you were talking about making a lot of phone calls and really receiving a lot of phone calls, too, around the end of March there. And I, I had a lot of tough conversations with clients about saying, hey, I have this cash in the side. I, I know that you've always told me that, you know, when the stock market's low, it's a good time to buy. But I'm thinking it might go down farther. Mm -hmm. So should mm -hmm. I wait? And, um, you know, that's a, that's a conversation. Each person's different. Sure. But generally speaking, um, the way that I like to think, I like to reframe that is, you're right. We don't know what's going to happen in the next three weeks or the next week or the next three days. But let's take a look at where we are now. And where do you think we're going to be three years from now? Do you think it's going to be significantly higher than it is right now? Well, yeah. All right. So would it be a good idea to buy if we don't know where we're going to be tomorrow? when we have this opportunity to buy a lot lower than it's going to be three years from now, just, you don't want to, you don't want to try to, to, to time things that, that closely. Right. right. So, so to me, it's stop, stop worrying about what's going to happen next week. If you, if you're looking at the market and saying, man, this is really low and I would like to have more money in five years. And I think the market's going to be much higher in five years. That's a good time to invest no matter what you think is going to happen. Tomorrow. Yeah. Right. Because even um, if it goes down tomorrow, it could still go up you, tomorrow. And, and you still bought at a discount. And you still bought at a discount. So, yeah. uh, you know, take the discount. If you were to go, um, if, if you really wanted to buy a, a nice pair of shoes um, and you've been waiting to buy that pair of shoes and suddenly that pair of shoes is on sale for 25%, you know, your initial, re if, if you're planning on buying them anyway, your initial reaction is, isn't going to be, well, maybe they'll have a liquidation <laughs> sale and go on sale 30% tomorrow. So let me wait. Right. 
right? right. No, you, you've, been, you've been wanting that pair of shoes anyway. Yeah, yeah, They're on go. sale. Go buy the shoes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, cool uh, you want to own the shoes. Go buy the shoes. So yeah. that's that's the, the same way I look at investing. Yeah. I mean, ha- have you had folks, um, pharmaceuticals, right? Have people cause, oh, this, 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 you know, this company, whatever, is on the verge of a breakthrough of the, you know, vaccine. I think they're a great investment. Let's do it. I mean, has there been a lot of that? And what's your opinion on all of that? Yeah. And, and there's always a... Uh, a uh, industry uh, du jour for that. Um, so a few years ago, and it still kind of is, it was marijuana stocks. Mm, yeah, right? yeah, of course. Um, and I mean, you could go back and look at any point in history. There's this new industry breaking out that I think yeah. is going to be huge. Dot well, com, right? And, yeah, dot com. That's a, that's a fun <laughs> example, actually, for that. And by the way, if you notice, some of the companies that, that were born out of that dot com era are some of the biggest companies in the world right yeah, now. So crazy. they were right. Yeah. In general. In general, yeah. But <laughs> yeah. if anyone remembers the early 2000s, yeah. there were three negative years in the stock market in a row, mostly based on that whole dot-com bubble bursting, right? Yeah. So, um, so yes, people in, in, in healthcare and pharmaceuticals today and uh, and people in marijuana companies, uh, I mean, still today, but it was bigger two or three years ago. Sure. It was a bigger part of the conversation, though nothing's changed in that industry, right? Um, the way I always look at it is whenever there's a new industry... There's going to be a lot of people trying to get in, and a small percentage of them are going to end up with all the market share, and they're going to succeed. Yeah, um, and that's good for the economy, but it also means that probably more will fail than succeed. So, yeah, it might be a good time to get in, but don't don't try to uh, don't try to be the smartest person in the room and know you don't know none of us have enough information to know which company is going to break through at just the right time and then get to the buyers at just the right time. Um, and if, if, if there's 15 companies right now, and there's probably more than that, trying to develop a vaccine, the one that develops it might get rich. They might also decide this is too important. I'm going to give up the opportunity to patent this and just give it out there because I want governments Interesting. to. You never know if that's going to happen. It probably won't because mm-hmm. people are inherently, uh, and these companies are publicly traded companies, They're, their goal is to make money. But sometimes in times like these, we're willing to give things up like that. Um, same thing with marijuana stocks. There have been a lot of companies that started that that have gone under. Um, then there's been a few that have done really well. And there are a few that are doing really well that will go under and fail. And that's just how, uh, how business works, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's important to to keep in mind that if there's 15 companies trying to develop a vaccine right now, you know, one or two might do really well because of that. So you, if you own all 15, is it worth losing all the money on 13 to make money on two? And, and, and that's a really hard question to answer. I don't know the answer to that question. Um, but what I will say is, um, if you're looking at your whole portfolio and maybe buying mutual funds that own those types of companies, I, I trust those portfolio managers to make those decisions a little better than I do on a daily basis. Um, and also just buying indexes that invest in those markets. So um, you're going to own some of that. But it's important to look at, do, do you want all of your money to be invested in a company that might make a huge or fail? Probably not. Right? Yeah. So, so maybe having a little bit of that stuff is, is fun. But, um, but it's important to think about um, how the industry is going to do as a whole. Uh, how many companies are going to succeed and what kind of risk are we taking? And is that the kind of risk that you want to have? 
Um, you know, I, I own some some individual stocks and companies. Sometimes because I think that they're a good purchase. Sometimes just because I like the company. Yeah. Right. Um, I I don't I don't think I'm not sure if I own it right now. But I, I at one point a while ago bought stock in Tesla. Not be like the numbers looked terrible. I was, terrible just, saying, I was just thinking of them. Yeah. I just think Elon Musk's an interesting guy. I yeah, like what sure. they're doing, yeah. even if they don't have that good of a um, a plan here. Like, is it a good investment to spend? Billions, trillions—I don't know—on sending people into space. I don't, I don't know. We'll find out. But I, but I think it's cool. So I, you know, it's I just so want cool. to be involved in that. That so there's different reasons why one might own a stock, right? Yeah, I was and, going to ask you about Tesla because he just—he—they just launched the rocket, which uh, which I watched, which I thought that was. Yeah. I haven't seen that since I was a kid. You know, with the mm-hmm. rocket launch, it was very. very it's cool been a long time. Yeah, since we did a, that. yeah, it's been a long time. It did it did his uh, did Tesla uh, stock uh, spike? Uh, during that, or, or in other words, did it, did it have um, a surge going so upwards? That's only been the few days. I honestly haven't looked at the stock price in the last few days. I mean, that, okay. that was last week, right? Uh, I think it was last week. Last yeah. Friday or something. Yeah, maybe. Because yeah. Um, I know that there was a, you know, some weather conditions knocked off the first launch. And yeah. They had to redo it. Um, might have been over the weekend even. Um, but I can say that that's a, um, for the last few years, that's a, a stock that's been volatile. And again, it's, it's always driven by consumer sentiment. Um, and some people, when they see this guy on the interview smoking a joint and saying some weird things, <laughs> suddenly lose confidence in the company. Um, and other people say, you know, I mean, look at look at who our president is right now. Some people just prefer someone who speaks their mind, no matter what that is, right? Sure. So, so it can have two different effects. Sure. Uh, but yeah. that I, that company stock has certainly gone up and down um, significantly over the last few years. Um, well, it's, it's done Elon, well. Elon's no stranger to speaking his mind either. I mean, exactly. that, that's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, he's someone yeah. that'll that'll, you know, publicly, you know, smoke pot and and talk about things that people don't want him to talk about. Right? What did he just What did he just do? He um, what did he just say? Something he was gonna. He said they're they're making too much money. I probably got it wrong. He said something. It was like a week or so ago. It was before the launch. Um, he felt that his his company was valued too high or something of that nature. <laughs> I think that's what he said. He would say that Something if he believed it. And, I, and yeah. that's yeah. that's a thing about him. He also said, uh, I think the morning of the, the launch was supposed to happen, he made a public statement that if anything goes wrong, this is my fault. Yeah. No one says that. Yeah, no right? one says that. Yeah. But that, that's a, I think that's a philosophical belief that he's just espousing, which yeah. is good to know, right? Yeah, that, that you feel that way. Um, I don't know how useful it is in terms of judging the value of your company yeah. or you, but um, cool. Is it? Do you get? I mean, you said you get you you invest in stuff just because you like the company. Sometimes, uh, yeah. yeah. Not, not a lot. I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't. I don't do that a lot. That's no, just, no, no, no. So, know. so I get it because there's sometimes. I mean, fi- finances. You really don't want to get emotional, right? No. Yeah. No, you don't no. Get so, so again, to me, in that sense, it's kind of like. Um, kind of like going to play roulette and putting a little bit of insignificant money on a number that's your lucky number it, it yeah, it's I not a you. good financial decision it's just something that feels good and you don't care because you got that's that's how i because you gotta have fun so with it too, right? exactly so that's a small yeah. it's a small yeah, amount and sure. some some types of investing is almost like gambling in terms yeah. of the risk right sure. it's, it's crazy um but some some parts are interesting and 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 sometimes you know when we're examining a portfolio for a client we're looking at uh, growth potential and statistics only. That's it. I, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not thinking. Oh, we like these people. But for, for myself personally, um, yeah. sometimes I'll, I'll, yeah, yeah. kind of gamble that. in that sense. But you always um, say that to a client, it's like you should invest yeah. these guys. Why? Yeah. Ah, they're cool. Yeah, because <laughs> that guy was high the other day and he said something I liked. Like, no, that, <laughs> that's not how we make clients. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting stuff out there, and and again, sometimes it's important to to recognize that, um, you know, two things can happen at the same time that uh, didn't necessarily cause each other, right? Like uh, people, especially in social sciences, are always trying to make that distinction uh, between causation and correlation, right? Um, so just because two things happen at the same time doesn't mean one caused the other. Um, that's going to be an important thing for people to keep in mind come November. Mm. Um, elections, election years, the, the impact of elections on investments are pretty much nothing. Okay. Everyone always thinks like, well, if these people get voted in, then I'm out. And it's just like, all right, well, just so you know, historically, that's made about like a half a percentage difference in the stock market. Okay. That, you know, that on an average year changes nine or 10%. So how, how well, that's good. That's a good point though. How, um, how much do political current, current event political decisions or what have you mm-hmm. affect the stock market, not just elections, but, but n- new laws, new yeah. policies, speeches, what have you. Yeah. So they, they have short term impacts, but in, in the grand scheme of things, it's kind of, it's everything's built in, you know? Okay. Um, so again, it's, it's important to know that um, no one thing is going to be the reason why um, the market goes incredibly in one direction or the other. At least no one politician's words, mm-hmm. right? Maybe some actions. Maybe, uh, you know, there, there were certain things that led to a housing market collapse, and that was one identifiable thing mm-hmm. that had a huge impact on the market for a while, right? But, um, but there's nothing that I could publicly say, and, and there's nothing that our president could publicly say that would um, significantly in the long term impact the market, um, but yeah, people react to things. So that's why when you see that happen, you'll often see a day or two of a, a bump in one direction or the other. But um, So when the financial analyst gets on the news channel, whatever one you're watching, and he says, oh, this uh, decision is going to have an impact on the stock. So maybe they're making to news. Them, but they're, they're making selling news, news yeah. So right? don't, don't take, yeah, don't. Yeah. Don't take that too seriously. I know that you're 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 a media company, but yeah. you're not one of those media companies. Right? <laughs> so those yeah. media companies I've worked they, for one of those. They, yeah, and, and but they make their money off people buying advertisements. Yeah. People buy exactly. advertisements based on how many people watch, and a lot of people like watching things that sound crazy, right? Mm-hmm. So like, there's a reason why people slow down to see an accident on the side of the road, right? Yeah. And it's not because they enjoy accidents or think that there's you know something that they need to do. Um, they just think, oh, that's that's weird and different. That's that's wild. Let me look at that. And, um, you know, crazy headlines sell. Um, so you're going to get a lot more people to tune in by saying, here's why this analyst thinks that we're in for the worst thing since the Great Depression. Everyone's yeah. going to tune in and be like, wait, why? I don't want to lose all my money. Yeah. Right? The majority of analysts are out there every day saying, yeah, I mean, you know, things might go down a little or up a little. That, that's what the really say, you know that's what the experts that, that really know what they're talking about are saying um, there's a uh, uh, a lot of studies out there that that talk about where an advisor's value truly is and it's it's not necessarily in picking the right stocks or putting the perfect portfolio together it's it's in behavioral coaching and understanding mm-hmm. why to make decisions and why not to make decisions mm-hmm. um, and that has I mean five times the impact of just putting the right portfolio together. Now, I, I make it a point to try to put together a portfolio that's better than most portfolios. Sure. That's my, my goal for sure. 
but more importantly, I try to be uh, someone's eyes and ears and rationality in their decision-making process and help them feel confident that they're doing the right thing based on statistics instead of um, based on all these Because there's a lot of anxiety when you put money and and you're watching day to day and it's like, oh, I just put money in that and now it's going down. So, you know, I think that the worst thing that an investor can do is have their TV tuned into CNBC all the time. Like it's just because it, because you have people like literally jumping online and you know hitting buttons. You gotta buy this. Yeah, yeah. It's it's crazy. Like that's not how you should make decisions. Yeah. Right? And uh, and uh, it does have an impact on those but companies, it's good TV. of course. But it's short. Yeah. It, it's great TV. It's <laughs> it's fun to watch. I, yeah. I I watch it every now and then, and I just sit yeah. there and laugh. You know. Yeah. Maybe have a have a beer and just watch. Sure. You know, someone like Kramer go off for a little while. Um, but it's also a little disappointing that that there's people out there you know, putting everything on these picks. And really those are people that are selling something and it's, and it's not their advice. It's a book or it's a service. And, yeah. um, and it's important to keep in mind that um, businesses are out there to make money and, and you want to know what's driving a business before you buy into it or, um, you know, what someone is saying, because uh, there's a, there's a clear motivating factor if you understand the business. Right. And um, someone like Jim Cramer, he's selling TV, right. He's mm-hmm. selling uh, an audience and, and advertisements and he's selling books. And I mean, he is a, a smart guy. He knows how to invest money for sure. But, sure. um, but again, I, I think that, um, he's, he's not a fiduciary for you. Right. right. He, he doesn't even know who you are. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's important to keep that kind of stuff. In mind. So a lot of your work then is, I guess, researching different companies. It's not just looking at the numbers. It's like looking at XYZ company Actually, kind of see, seeing where they are. Where I spend so little time researching companies. Really? I, I spend okay. a lot of my time uh, looking at historically and statistically speaking, what's the best way for someone to invest their money? And usually it's most people who are st- picking stocks. Um, if, if you were to go out there and I were to give you all of the you know, 500 large cap U.S. companies, the S&P 500, and say, pick who you think is going to be the best performers this year. Um, your guess there, because for you, I'm guessing it'd be a guess based on what you said earlier of mm. not even wanting to, to know, right? Maybe guess, yeah. um, your guess is probably going to be as good as a lot of the, the people out there whose job is to pick okay. the winners and losers. Um, in, in more efficient markets, uh, markets that don't have extra types of risk in them, so U.S. stocks, for example, um, most professionals can't beat just owning the index. So for me, it's not so much about which companies do I think are going to be best because I know that that's not where I'm going to make a positive impact for someone like you or, or one of my clients. It's, um, it's knowing how someone should be invested in what types of asset classes they should own and the decisions they should make when investing, how much of their money should they invest? How does it affect their cash flow? What kind of risks can they afford to take and helping educate them on that and, and understanding their position and making the best decisions along the way. And then most of the portfolios I'm putting together for people are consisted, you know, at, at least half of them are just passive in investing funds, index funds and stuff like that. And then, you know, there, there's reasons why other stuff is, is mixed in there as well. And I won't get into the boring stuff, but um, but again, it, it's about making the right decision at the right time. That's going to have a much bigger outcome for someone than for me to go in and try to 
um, analyze all these different companies out there. Um, we as, a, as an organization, New England Financial, our parent company, Base Day Financial, we do so little picking of stocks. Um, hmm. it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's really, because it's a, it's a fool's errand. Um, it, it's really hard to, to outperform doing that. Um, but you can outperform by just having the right balance of things in a portfolio. Diversification is really important. Um, you know, clients of mine who uh, kind of did better than others um, over the past few months. It's mostly because they just had proper diversification and we rebalance when things get way out of whack. And because of that, you know, they had some bonds that performed really well when the stocks went down. And then because things are out of whack, we rebalance. So we buy more of the stocks when they're low and sell some of the bonds when they're high. And the stock market comes back. Okay. And then because now our risk is higher because we own more stocks, now we rebalance back out of that. So uh, so it's, it's, so there was it's a, not just buy this stuff and then let it sit for 20 years. It's a constant yeah, sort of now, balance. Now there's, so there's, there's, there's two things. One is conceptually, I think buying and holding for a long period of time is good, but rebalancing is important because if, uh, to really simplify it, if half your portfolio is bonds and half your portfolio is stocks, at the end of any year, that's not true anymore because okay. one of them did better than the other, and now it's 60% one or the other. Gotcha. Um, but your risk tolerance hasn't changed. You should still have 50% stocks and 50% bonds. And also, if, if you go back to what is the root of investing, how do you succeed at investing? Well, you buy low and you sell high. Yeah. So if, again, in a portfolio where I only own two things, I own stocks and bonds, and my stocks are up and my bonds are down, um, well, I know that I should buy low and sell high, and I know that I should have half bonds and half stocks. So if I sell some of the stocks and buy some of the bonds, I have effectively sold high and bought low, and my risk tolerance is appropriate again. So, so I'm taking a little bit of the uh, volatility out of my portfolio, and I'm giving myself a chance to uh, perform better. So yeah. that, that's really how to, how, to, how to best manage a portfolio more than predicting which company is going to succeed. How do you um, go through all your, I mean, I don't know how many clients you have. So you go through your clients. Is this something you go through every day? You pick, okay, I'm going to go through these 10 things, and I'm going to balance them out. And then the next day, I got these 10, and I'm going to go through these guys. Yeah. So is some that- of it I have automatic. Uh, I okay. set up automatically. So there's triggers. Uh, uh, I have a system that uh, it's called drift monitor, uh, uh, where we're monitoring the drift in a portfolio and it automatically, and I set these differently for different clients or and different. I have uh, model portfolios that I've built, but um, everyone that's, you know, 30 and really aggressive so, you know, these eight people are all in the same model um, and they might have gotten a different time. So their portfolios might be a little bit different. But um, and in that model, then if any one of these asset classes gets more than two percent out of alignment, it triggers an automatic rebalance. Oh, okay. um, and some of them are set up to just do that on a quarterly basis and just rebalance no matter what. So even if it's just a hair out of alignment, it will rebalance or if it's a way out of sometimes it can drift a lot over a quarter. Um, so. I'm looking at, when I'm going in and looking at things, it's more, is there a, a reason why there should be an adjustment, a tactical adjustment made? Um, in terms of rebalancing, most of that set up automatically, but for some clients I am going in and, and looking at it. Um, and yeah, I, I have it's, you know, a calendar reminder to every now and then to go through everything. And then of course, times like we're in now when, um, you know, in March, I just made it a point over the course of a week to get in touch with every single one of my clients and have a conversation wow. because, um, 
Because well, that's that's what I told them I'd do. Is, you know, is, is if things get crazy, I'm going to be there for you. Yeah. And they might not be calling me, but it doesn't mean they're not thinking about it. A lot of people are thinking, well, I don't want to bother them. Everyone's bothering them right now. Yeah, yeah. But I, I need them to know, no, no, always bother me. <laughs> you, yeah. you let me know. That's my job is to be there for you. Yeah. So, so if um, if you're putting together a portfolio for somebody, uh, do you have like constant like like uh, an investment that like pretty much I think everybody should have this across the board, and then and of course you probably have this investment is going to work really great for this guy, mm-hmm. but horrible for this guy. Is that the my yeah, there's 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 some there's some consistencies and similarities between models. Um, I think almost everyone owns at least a little bit of just a a large company index fund because that's if if you should have anything in the stock market which would be like if it was the S&P 500 okay. uh, index fund uh, uh, I often use Fidelity or Vanguard because they're the cheapest they, gotcha. you know they, they don't cost anything to own so gotcha. uh, that's the way okay. to do it and and it's not a managed investment so I don't want to pay someone to just mimic what's just everything in there gotcha. um, but that some people don't own any stocks so there's nothing that's necessarily in every everyone's uh, portfolio but yeah, I mean, I think that most folks probably should have a little bit of, of certain indexes. There's outside of uh, the passive investments, uh, there's not any one thing that that you'll see in everyone's uh, mm-hmm. portfolio, though, because that's that's when it's kind of up, up to the person and their risk tolerance and their time horizon. Um, but uh, you know, someone that's going to retire next year has a, a very different tolerance for risk than you know, I'm 35 years old, mm-hmm. so I'm. I'm I'll probably work till I'm like 80 just because I like what I do. But yeah. um, that being said, I got a really long time horizon. I don't care when everything goes down. If I have extra cash, maybe I'll invest it. That, that's the yeah. only thing I'll do. Gotcha. Um, but I, I can't have my, my folks who are currently living off these assets experience the same thing. Do you do your folks' uh, investments? My, my folks? Yeah. Um, a little bit. Um, Is that what you were talking about? You said folks. No, I, did, oh, I just mean folks. these you're... folks who are my, uh, oh, oh. like people who are retired, who are clients of mine. Oh, I got you. Um, I, yeah. I'm it's, folks, working like... with family is, uh, <laughs> you got to be cautious with that. <laughs> you got to make sure that they really understand how this all works. Um, and yeah. some family do and some don't. So, yeah. um, and even those who do, I, um, I'm happy to be a sounding board. And yeah, sometimes manage something, but I feel you. Yeah, you gotta gotta be careful with those relationships. Yeah, no, definitely. So. I get you. Um, uh, moving on. So, what would be like? Um, what was I gonna ask you? Oh, um, how has uh, like ret- I know? Uh, so you said I'm 50. So the way people save for retirement has changed mm-hmm. like drastically, even in my short time working. So in in the past decade or so. How has retirement changed as far as, you know, saving at your business, you know, you're at a company that offers you a pension, you know, so how should people really prepare to save? Should they just rely on, oh, I got a pension with my company or I got social security or I got, you know, so, you know, how has it sort of, how how has that market changed? So the the landscape of retiring, that's, that's a, that's a good thing. First of all, you look really good for 50. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate Uh, that. I I would not have guessed. Um, when you were born, 401ks didn't exist. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, that's true. So the landscape has changed quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, the idea of private company pensions, they still exist. They do. I have some clients with private pensions. They're not common. They look very different than they used to, okay. where, where they do exist. Um, Social Security was created 
at a time where the life expectancy of someone who started claiming Social Security, I believe, was like four more years. Um, and now people are living on Social Security for 20 years. Yeah. Um, so, uh, because of that and a lot of other factors, this is a complicated topic. Um, social security, unless there are changes made to that program, won't be able to continue to pay out the way it's currently paying out forever. Um, and I know there's, there's, this is all information that's, that's easy to find publicly online and there's plenty of studies on it. Um, but I believe the number is, uh, for probably for you, um, certainly, when you go to claim Social Security, if nothing has changed, I believe, based on mo the most recent studies, uh, your benefit would be about 72% of what it's supposed to be. Oh, cool. um, that's good to know. Yeah, well, I, I mean, that, that it, it stinks news. to know, but also yeah. it is really important to know, right? Yeah, So it's important to know that. And we're now, so, so, so you and, and, and me certainly... Um, are you... Are, are, what's, what's project, just sorry to interrupt... Is the same. It's, it's because the baby boomers are so many of that generation, and okay. it's kind of calmed down since then. The growth hasn't been the population growth hasn't been as as rapid since then. So so that it doesn't continue to become a problem after that, based on current studies, based on current numbers. That could of course all change, but um, so so my issue with social security is the same as yours right now, which is I, I, I unless something's done, I can expect seventy two percent. Yeah, and of course, mind you, Congress can act in two different ways. Right. There's a lot of people out there who's, who, who think Social Security should, should go away, mm -hmm. and they might want to get rid of it completely. But our parents, and certainly grandparents at least, um, they retired with a pension and Social Security. They generally worked at one or two companies their entire life. They, uh, they had a pension, they had Social Security, and they're basically making a similar amount of money that they were making when they were working after they retire, and their health care is paid for for the rest of their life. And... That's it. Love it. Mind you, they only had to fund that for 10 years or yeah. so in retirement. So the, the, the age, the, the retirement age was 65 many, many years ago, and it's still mm -hmm. 65, and uh, we're living a lot longer. Yeah. So that, there, you know, there's a lot of factors here. But um, we now, if, they, if it weren't for Social Security, most folks would be completely dependent on just money that they decided to save for themselves and they have to self-fund and replace their paycheck for 20 or 30 years. Yeah. That's crazy it's sounding, daunting. right? It's like, and and yeah. what's the savings rate in this country? Like negative one? Yeah. Like, it's, it's really bad. So, so it's important for us to, to, to understand that we're dealing with something that past generations haven't had to. Whether you think that's good or bad, it doesn't matter. It's reality. So we got to figure out how to navigate this. And it's doable. And, and luckily, a lot of companies are, are going towards these, uh, the bigger companies anyway. For people like you and me, we don't get quite as many benefits, right? But the bigger companies right. are having people automatically enrolled in their 401k. When, you know, you'd have to have, sign a negative consent to get out of it. Um, some of the good companies provide a, a good match. And then when you get enrolled, they'll enroll you. So unless you sign away from it, um, you're going to start contributing 5%. And then every year it's going to increase by 1% until it hits 10%. And then you're saving 10%. They're saving 10% for you. And if you're saving 20% of your money for most of your life, you're going to be good. That's pretty you, good. For, for most people in most circumstances, investing the way that uh, most people invest, you're, you're going to be absolutely fine, even, if, even without Social Security. Yeah. Um, but if you get a late start or you're not doing that, the, you know, the social safety net 
um, from the government is going to be a little bit worse and there's not going to be a private uh, pension. So um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens to uh, folks who don't have the ability to save when that stuff comes around. And I don't, um, I'm not a politician and, uh, and I, I usually don't get too much into, into politics on this stuff. I just, yeah. um, you know, kind of take care of what needs to be taken care of on a person by person basis. But, um, but it, it's going to be a major change. So, um, you know, hopefully we can, we can help our, our friends and, and loved ones make the right decisions, um, the best that they can. Yeah, I remember when I was working, they um, the pensions started going away, and then and then uh, and then the healthcare, which I know you don't you don't deal in, but we do. The, we actually do. We do. do a little, yeah, oh, we okay. do a little bit. The, so the, the gentleman next to me do, uh, does uh, uh, in my the, in the office next to mine. His primary business is uh, group health insurance policies. Oh, okay. So okay. I don't do a whole lot of it, but I'm licensed to it. Because it was really because you know I, I went to work and you sign up and they take out X amount of dollars for mm-hmm. and you don't have to worry about health. You like there was no worry. You go to the mm-hmm. doctor. You get a you didn't get a bill. You got a statement. Like yeah. you went to the doctor and we paid this amount. You're like okay, good, and you file that away. But now it's like you get it's it's um well you know it's all different now because i'm self-employed but but when i was working yeah it was it's a whole you're paying uh and then it's it's uh the high deductibles or the whatever you know the lower deductibles was so all these different all these different things and, and now obamacare has really changed it since yeah. then and um and, and obamacare has changed since then yeah and obamacare has <laughs> so, then changed yeah, since then so yeah. so there's a lot of uh, even that has been really difficult i know for people to navigate um, yeah through the health care both both during working life and retirement for sure and uh yeah, I, it's easy for us to end up in a situation where we're paying a thousand dollars a month for health insurance that only kicks in after we pay five thousand dollars worth yeah. of health insurance costs, right? So that means we're paying eighteen thousand dollars a year for health insurance before an insurance company will pay for it. Yeah, but unfortunately, there's sometimes costs that are hundreds of thousands of dollars that we are counting on them to cover, and they do cover. So sure. that that's just the landscape sure. and how it works, regardless of of whether or not you think that's how it should work. It it. Um, those are the costs right now. Yeah. Um, the bigger concern of mine uh, is the rising cost of long-term care for uh, mm-hmm. older folks in retirement. Uh, so long-term care is generally defined, uh, needing long-term care is generally defined as someone that needs assistance with uh, at least two activities of daily living, things like you know bathing yourself and feeding yourself and going grocery shopping and stuff like that. And if you can't do that by yourself, then perhaps you need assistance. And uh, Connecticut is the second most expensive state to uh, to get assistance with long-term care in, uh, second only to Alaska. And I think that has more to do with just the number of people around, and, you know, getting around. Uh, but wow. if you if you need to be in a, a long-term care facility, it costs upwards of $150,000 a year. Now there's um, so, isn't there there's insurance plans though yeah, that they're but very they're, expensive. they're crazy expensive, incredibly expensive, and um, they're one of the few types of insurance that, um, and all insurance actually has most insurance has it written in that they can raise rates if there's a good enough reason to, but the underwriting it's it's a fairly new product long term care insurance and the underwriting is fairly new and they got a lot of things wrong, basically and the state did too because the state approved all these things and they're not the state isn't saying this math is. Um, how we recommend doing the math, but they are saying, yeah, it looks right. Right? (laughs) You know, it looks like you did your due diligence here at least. And, um, and we've seen premiums, I mean, triple quadruple for people that bought these policies to the point where, um, you know, if you're 60 years old and need to buy one of these policies, it might cost you $15,000 a year. 
that's just unaffordable for most people. Even yeah. if you even if you're doing pretty well, that's yeah, a lot, that's of, a lot money of money to pay for something. Which, by the way, you might not need. Yeah. And if you don't need it, you don't get that money back. Yeah. <laughs> so there's 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 different ways of doing that. There's different products out there right now. There's some hybrid products that work as a a life insurance product that has a long term care uh, like rider or something on it that mm-hmm. will pay for some long term care. And the advantage of that, there's disadvantages too, but the advantage of that is if you don't use the long-term care, at least your family gets a death benefit. So, you know, so you haven't just, all that money isn't just wasted. But for the most part, if you're buying a long-term care policy, you're probably not going to see a benefit yourself unless you need it. Sure. Um, Although there are, there are some interesting things out there. It's a really difficult space to navigate. I actually refer most people who need that help to a a lawyer um, who can help. Uh, write a uh, you know a good trust to help protect people's assets, um, but you can only protect assets in that sense that are um, individually owned and not a retirement account. So you can't put an IRA in a trust and protect it because only a person can own a retirement account. A trust can't own a retirement account. So how interesting. Um, yeah. So you can't yeah, protect. Yeah, so sense. for people who uh, perhaps wisely put all their money in retirement accounts because it saves taxes and they've grown all, you know, a large, uh, amount of wealth and a good nest egg. Um, it's hard to protect those assets, but, but still it's good to protect your home because if, if you have to spend all your money on long-term care, Medicare doesn't pay for it. Medicaid does. And, uh, Medicaid is for people who, who don't have any money. So you can, you can't have more than $1,500 and have Medicaid pay for something. And there are some clauses to help protect your home, but it, not doesn't work that well so it's it's important to find ways to protect your assets um, especially for um, what's considered like the mass affluent population so people who have saved you know at least six figures of money maybe maybe a couple million but not not a whole bunch of wealth um, if it's going to cost one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year uh, if you need long-term care and you have a million dollars it doesn't take that, that long for all that money to go yeah. away right so so it's important to uh, protect what you have too. And it's getting harder, certainly with, uh, you know, a lot less guaranteed assets and retirement. Um, and a lot, a lot more that we have to figure out on our own nowadays. So I got a few questions, but this one just popped up. So I, this is probably hard to answer because it's probably all relative to, uh, somebody's making $75,000 a year. I don't know. Sure. Um, and they're going to retire. What, what, how much, and they're going to retire at 65. Mm-hmm. Let's start there. So first of all, has when's the last time the retirement age went up and do you think it should go go up again it's actually currently in the process of technically going up okay so um it started out as so and and this is how social security defines it retirement age is just technically whenever you retire right Right. but but um but as social security defines normal retirement age um yeah there's a few things so one is is when can you access retirement funds without paying penalties Mm -hmm. or filing special forms to allow you to do that so you can you know, if, if you have enough money to retire at 40, you can access retirement accounts, but you have to start taking what's called equal and even distributions for the rest of your life out of those accounts. Uh, otherwise, you pay penalties and excise taxes. But for that's not most people, right? So we're talking about most people here. Um, and the retirement age for a long time was 65, and then it went up to 66. And now I believe it's people, I, I'm going to get the years wrong on this, but people born between the mid 50s and mid sixties, um, it's, it's slowly going up to 67. Um, so if you're, I think born in 54, then it's 60, 
uh, 66. And then if you're born in 65, it's 66 in two months and goes up. If, if you're looking into this, double check that. You can Google it. It's very okay. easy to find. But, but it is and, creeping up. And, and yeah, and for us, it's 67. And I would guess that one of the changes that's going to have to happen to make that system solvent is for that to go up more. Sure. Um, and also, again, when, when the system started, we were living four years in retirement. Now we're living 20 years in retirement. As much as, you know, uh, selfishly, sure, I'd like it just to be funded more so I can still retire at 67 and get all that money. I don't think it's realistic, though. Yeah. So I, I, I expect that to go up. I, I'm not counting on getting it until I'm 70. Um, so, so, so how much money should they retire at 67, let's say? Sure. Um, how much money should somebody have in their investment they can draw from when they retire? Sure. You know, I know it's all relative. Oh, but, yeah. You know, it's what, it's what, a very loaded of, question. Okay, why well, make $75,000 a year? Yeah. I want to live you know, relatively the same mm -hmm. as I'm doing now, you know, same traveling, eating, clothing, that kind of thing. Sure. What, what would somebody want to have in their investment portfolio? Sure. So, time? so there's a, so the, the major things that we think about is, uh, are your expenses going to stay the same, go down or go up? And chances are, there's going to be times when it's going to go down a little bit and times when it's going to go up a little bit. Um, usually in the you know first 10 years of retirement, for a lot of people, it's kind of like a vacation, right? right? You're still really healthy. You want to travel the world. You want yeah. to do all these things that you couldn't do while you were working. When you get to your mid to late seventies, maybe you're not traveling the world anymore because you're just not as mobile as, as, as you once were, but you're still healthy. Um, so maybe your expenses drop a little bit, but then if maybe you start to have some health conditions, then your expenses go way up to yeah. help pay for that. So it, and then if there's long-term care, we thought that could get crazy, but for most people, the um, it's it, what I, what I'll do for folks is we just make an itemized budget of where your money's going now, and then we make a uh, we just look at okay, so does that continue in retirement? Does it go up? Does it go down? And we itemize it because because it, it does change for everyone. But generally speaking, uh, people should be saving fifteen to twenty five percent of their money for retirement. That's the the rule of thumb. Um, rules of thumb are just that, so I I don't use them that much, but right. Um, if you're saving, say, 20% of your money for retirement and you're starting making 75 from, start, Starting from when? When you first started working? Well, it that's why there's a kind of a range there. Sure. If you start young, then you don't have to save quite as much as gotcha. if you start later on. Um, so but, if you start when you're 50, so, you should probably save you, half your income. You, maybe, yeah. <laughs> you save as much as you possibly can anyway. And, yeah. and then, of course, there's decisions to make. You can kind of combine maybe working a little bit later and uh, deciding how much how you want to live now. I always tell people when they're getting close to retirement, um, if you're planning on living off significantly less money, you better test it now. If, if you're not currently living off of that, then how do you know you can? Yeah. Right. So if, if someone's saying, well, I make 80 grand right now, but I, I can live off of 50. It's like, but you're not currently saving 30, $30,000. So why don't you save $30,000? Well, I can't afford to. Well, then you can't afford to live off $50,000. Can you? Yeah. Like, so it's, it's yeah. important to recognize those things. But of course there's things like social security too. So what we, what we look at is, what, what are your expenses supposed to be if you're saving that 10 or 20 or 30 percent of your money or whatever it is then that's money you're not going to need as income anymore because you're not going to be saving anymore right um and then the general rule nowadays or i should say recently has been uh, a four percent safe withdrawal rate meaning that most people and there's been some changes to this recently that there's some people that are you know saying it's maybe two and a half percent which is crazy to think about but they're saying you can safely withdraw 4% of your money um, if you have it invested in an income portfolio. Um, so figure out what 4% of your money is, and that's the most that you can take out. Um, so 
so how much you should have saved is if you actually if you want to never run out of money, then you should probably count on only taking 4% and have that not deplete your assets. Okay. Um, so you what we'd actually do is you would, you would uh, take the amount you need and divide it by 0.04, and that would give you this massive number that you would need. Um, but now we can subtract Social Security from what that need's going to be, and we can do these different things, and, um, and we can kind of figure out what that's going to be. Um, for most people, if you have you know, 10 or 20 times your, your income, that's probably a, a safe, a safe bet. Okay. 20 times your income would mean that you could live for 20 years without any oh, growth. That's, right. Okay. So that's pretty simple. So math that's, that's yeah. a way to think All about right. it. But, um, and, and the reason why for some people it can work with 10 times your income, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that. I'd, I'd say go for more than that, but, um, because assuming that, you only need less than half of your income every year because Social Security is chipping in. So, uh, and then of course for everyone, Social Security is a complicated thing to do the math to figure out what that's going to be. I recommend folks that are even within a, a decade of thinking about it. Um, you might even want to do this for yourself. Um, if you notice, they don't send those statements out anymore mm-hmm. unless you're unless you're getting older and, and you're not there yet. So uh, if you go to SSA.gov, you can sign up for my Social Security and, and get your statements online and you'll they'll email your reminders to check every now and then. Um, it's expensive to mail those out to everyone, right? Yeah, yeah sure. Is. So uh, and that'll give you an idea of what to anticipate from Social Security and you can subtract that from your needed income. And then then you can kind of start to do the math on all right, what's, what's my nest egg need to be? And then, of course, if, if you're a type of person that wants to take zero risk in the market, then what you need is maybe a little bit different than what I need if I'm willing to let it ride a little bit, right? Yeah. So there's, there's all these differentiating factors between different folks that, that are doing this. But um, it's one of those times that there's a lot of folks that, that understand enough to kind of, like, I, can, I can do this myself, I don't need an advisor. And honestly, if, if, as long as you're doing the math, I, that's fine. If you know what you're yeah. doing, then save the money, right? I, don't pay me, but... Um, but I, I work with a lot of folks that have done it them, themselves, and then they get to the point of retirement, and they, they know they have enough money, but they don't want to make any silly decisions. So now they're willing to pay. Because it's a little bit, bit more risky now. Yeah. If they screw up, it's so not working anymore. If you look at take a ten year period in the market, right, and if if you're investing during that ten year period, or, or let's say you invest a bunch of money and wait ten years, no matter what happens on a year to year basis, the average rate of return is what your average rate of return is. So mm-hmm. whether or not there's a bunch of good or bad years, and no matter what order they happen in, you're gonna have the same amount of money at the end no matter what happens in between. Um, but if you're taking money out of the market and the first year is a negative year, so you know, say, say you're gonna take out that 4%, but the market, your account goes down 10% the first year. We said there's a, a 4% safe withdrawal rule, you effectively just lost 14% of that money. Can you yeah. afford to do that? So, so how to manage assets at that point is a lot different and, it, and it's a lot more involved. And um, you don't want to just have your money invested in an index and just takes regular distributions because you can have uh, events happen. Like someone that just retired in the beginning of the year might be in a weird spot right now if they didn't invest correctly. If they invested correctly, they're fine, I'm sure. Sure. But um, Do you have people who are retired? Um, Obviously, you, you probably do. And they, they'll call you up and, and you say, hey, listen, we really want to go on vacation. How can we afford that? Can we afford it? Is it a good idea? Is it? Do you get those kind of questions? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And um, it's amazing that, uh, and this is, a, 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 again, a rule of thumb. This is certainly not a blanket statement, but the uh, uh, 
a lot of times is the folks that are really concerned about how to make decisions like that, they, they have more than they need because they've always thought that way, right? Yeah. <laughs> so they were always really careful with their money. Uh, I have clients that are like that where I call them every year and saying, hey, you guys should do something. You, oh, really? You spend your money. I mean, I know that you'd like to leave some behind for your kids or grandkids or whatever, but your goal for paying for their college is actually on track already like enjoy some of this you work yeah. hard for it. so all your goals uh, are met yeah and there's some just go yeah yeah go fun. go yeah, go on cool. that vacation you guys you guys have been talking about it go do it yeah. but um it's it's important to what, what i what a really simple way to to do retirement income which is, is not necessarily how i do it with 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 everyone uh because there's a little bit more effective ways but uh, a simple way that does work is take all of your necessary expenses, right? You can't stop paying your taxes and, uh, you know, your property taxes. You can't stop paying for groceries and gas and all that. Um, so take all those, add up all those necessary expenses mm -hmm. and fund those only with guaranteed things like social security or an annuity. If you don't have a pension and something that you just know this is last, this will last forever. And then take things like vacation or, you know, going out and fund that with, uh, money invested in the market. So if there's a, a, a bad market event, then maybe you just don't go on vacation that year and, and wait until the market recovers to go on vacation again. But that doesn't mean that you can't live. Right. Right. So um, and then, of course, for each, each to each their own, if you know, if you say, well, you know, buying new clothes every year to me is a necessary expense, then work that in. Make sure that's guaranteed. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if, if you want to be able to guaranteed consistently always have what, what you want, then either guarantee it or do the work to really understand how to manage risk in a portfolio. I, I do things where I'm splitting things up into different time periods and, um, you know, it gives us such a good chance of success that, um, the, the, the room for error is so, so small, but we were getting much more growth than just buying an annuity. So, yeah. so there's, there's, there's better ways to do that too. Yeah. Um, how does it work when somebody, uh, has a retirement and then they, they, they pass right. And there's, so there's money left over. How does that treat it? And it's, and it's, whatever it gets passed on to their kids or grandkids or wherever they say they want it to go. What happens with taxes and it does, can you roll it over into their retirement account if they have yeah. one, that kind of thing? That's a great question. There was actually just a major law change this year that affects that. Um, so the way it used to work, uh, was that, uh, as long as your family, um, if you inherit, uh, money from a retirement account, then you have to continue. So there's this thing called required minimum distributions. Once you hit a certain age, the government forces you to take money out of retirement. The idea there is that they allowed you to defer your taxes, but they, they were anticipated getting the taxes eventually. Gotcha. So you're not paying taxes when you put money in a 401k. When you take distributions out, you are paying taxes. Um, so that money is all taxable whenever you take it out at income tax rates. So it's important like no one wants to have to take a huge distribution one year from a retirement account because it brings their tax rate up and you're paying more taxes. So um, there's, there's reasons why you want to have money in different places for taxability too. But the way it used to work is that if you passed it on to a, a child or a grandchild, um, then they would have to continue to take those required distributions that are based on your life expectancy basically. And because your kids are younger or your grandkids even younger than that, they're smaller amounts and, and whoever the beneficiary of can uh, it's stretch it. And the, the, the concept is a stretch IRA. You take a beneficiary, IRA, put it in there and just take the minimum distributions. A lot of people they used to, uh, especially folks wealthy and have an advisor and plan this all out, they would pass it on to their grandkids because they'd have the smaller distributions and that money would last longer and allow it to grow more. What's changed in, um, in some recent legislation 
is that concept of being able to stretch an IRA that long is gone. You can't do that anymore. So if you have money in a qualified retirement account, such as a 401k or an IRA, and you pass away, if you give that to your kid, your kid has to take that money out within 10 years. Doesn't have to, there's no order. He can take it all out right away. He can wait 10 years and take it, like just let it grow and then take it out 10 years from now. He could take even distributions over 10 years, he or she. But, um, but when 10 years is up, you gotta take that, you gotta have that money out of there, um, which means you have to pay taxes on it. Um, so, Again, they probably, they, they just want their money, the government. Yeah, you know, it depends. It depends on how, like I always recommend, you know, speak with your family about this stuff so people kind of know what the plan is afterwards and, and you know, trust planning helps, but um, if you're planning on passing on assets, uh, a retirement account isn't the most efficient way to do it, um, especially if you want to control how that money's spent. Because um, you could put it in a trust that dictates how that money's spent, but even if it's in a trust, um, it's, it's still the rules of the person that the, is the beneficiary of the trust, the person who you're essentially giving the money to, even if a trust owns it, still applies. So they, that, that trust still has to spend that money within 10 years and pay the taxes. Yeah. So, uh, so that's a, a really good question because so much has changed in that space recently. Um, and there's reasons why, um, you know, if I have a whole, a whole bunch of money in all these different accounts, nowadays I might take more out of my qualified retirement accounts than I would have before. Um, so I'm not passing that on and creating an issue. And, and it's important to think, you know, if, if the if life expectancy is around, you know, 86 for a retiree right now, um, that means that if they had kids at 30, their kids are 56. Well, 56 is about peak earnings, meaning that you have to take money out, you have to pay taxes at, and you're earning as much as you're ever going to earn. So you're already paying as many taxes as you're ever going to pay. And now you have to force take money out you don't need in paying more taxes. So planning around that exact concept is really important. Um, so if, if you have a retirement account and then you have a bunch of other investments that aren't retirement accounts, mm -hmm. would you want to figure out a way to deplete your retirement account before you die? Yeah, because not only is that, that taxability issue that we were just talking about kind of problematic, but there's this, also this concept of a stepped-up cost basis in a non-retirement account. So if I own a stock and I bought it at a dollar, and it's kept it my whole damn life. Say I bought Amazon at a dollar, <laughs> and now it's worth you know thousands of dollars a share, and I have millions of dollars in Amazon stock. When I die, as long as it's my kid, um, they get a stepped-up cost basis, meaning their cost basis is the amount on the day that I died. So if I were to sell that Amazon stock the day before I died, I have a cost basis of a dollar per share. And now it's a thousand dollars per share. I got to pay taxes on nine hundred ninety nine dollars of okay. that. My kids don't. They get a new uh, cost basis of a thousand dollars. So if it goes up to a thousand and one dollars, they only have to pay taxes on that one dollar the next day. So, wow. so I mean, such a huge difference between a retirement account and a non-retirement account. And also, so if I'm retired, and especially if I'm elderly. I could take money out of the non-retirement account and pay tax that my kids won't have to pay. Or I can take money out of my retirement account and pay taxes that my kids will have to pay on money they don't need. I, I'm, I'm going to avoid paying a tax I don't have to pay. Someone's got to pay this tax no matter what, so I'll pay it. I have to pay this tax and my kid doesn't. I'm going to give this to my kid so, so they don't have to pay the tax. Um, and the system's set up that way. I think that there's... 
there's issues with how the system is set up. I think that there's a estate tax exclusion that's incredibly high. You know, you could pass on $10 million and your kid doesn't have to pay a dollar in taxes. Um, but if you pass on $100,000 in a retirement account, they got to pay exorbitant taxes on it. That's kind of silly. Uh, <laughs> just the way because yeah, there's up. the estate tax, right? They call it, um, well, they, there's, there's been like... They the call death, it the death the, tax, the right? death tax, right? Yeah, it has to make it sound much worse than it is. Yeah, yeah. So, for instance, so... Um, well, what about what about real estate, right? So your parents die or whatever, and then yeah. they, you know, their house, their property is willed to. How does how does that all work? So same stepped up cost basis rules there, um, and if they owned it and lived in it, they wouldn't have to pay uh, taxes on. Uh, yeah, the, the mortgage value paid off. It's right? just whatever. Let's just. So as long as that's under the estate tax uh, exclusion, there's no there's no taxability. I mean, they got the kids got to pay the property taxes that the parents had to pay. I mean, you know, property taxes don't go away. Cause I always thought, um, so if they, they would pay taxes because now they have this, there's none of that. They just, so, they just, they just assume the property taxes on the property. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. There's no, there's no tax on the value of the asset. Unless received. they sell the house, obviously. Or unless the, the amount of like, so let's say your parents own a bunch of properties and those properties are worth $50 million. Now, on the amount over the exclusion, federally, you have to pay estate taxes on. Um, and if all they had was properties, that becomes an issue because there's no liquidity. You don't have cash to pay that. So you're gonna have to sell some of those properties, but you owe the tax this year. So if those properties aren't selling, you have no way of paying the tax. So you can get yourself in a, in a troublesome mm -hmm. situation if, uh, if, if you're someone that owns a ton of real estate, you need to do some estate planning um, okay. to make sure that your kids don't, you know, if you want to pass that, that real estate on, you got to make sure your kids can afford to inherit it. Um, but in, uh, in, in the area of, uh, you know, just inheriting a house is, is just not an issue. Um, now, if, if you still owe a mortgage on it, then, you know, the kids still owe a mortgage on it. So that's, that's another issue. But. So, that, so the mortgage would be transferred to the kid as well. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit complicated, but yeah, <laughs> uh, you, you, you can't assume someone else's mortgage, but the kids would owe the debt and you'd probably find a way to refinance it. Kind of a dirty thing but, to do to your kid. Like, here's a house, but yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> but, but you could also, that you know, there's the, the common thing out there in buying homes in an estate sale. And oftentimes that's because, you know, mom and dad's house is worth a quarter million dollars, but they owe $100,000 on it. And need, none of the kids, it might be two or three kids, they don't want to yeah. carry the mortgage. So they do an estate sale, which is, you know, selling it directly from the estate. And they're, they're going to get the proceeds of that. Um, usually you can get a deal on that house because the kids are only getting a third of it. They're not getting that much money anyway. They just want to hurry up and be done with the transaction. Yeah. So that's why a lot of people, when they're, especially investors in property, they, they're going out looking for estate sales and, and short sales, people that are trying to get out from under a bad mortgage and stuff like that. Gotcha. Um, but that's that's a whole other topic. In general, is real estate a good investment? Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of good reasons to invest in real estate. Um, as long as you know it's important to understand leverage and liquidity and all these uh, terms that sound complicated, they're not. Leverage is just borrowing to own an asset, right? You, I, I'm leveraged on my my house, right? Because I have a mortgage, mm -hmm. so I I uh, I only own so much of my house, even though it's in my name. Um, Real estate can be a great investment. It's something that, you know, you could buy a house and rent it out and someone else is paying your mortgage for them. You're providing them something that they need. So that's, that's a great thing to do. Um, it can be good for the economy. Um, you know, there's politics around that too, but, um, uh, but it, it can be a pretty consistent investment. It can also be a really dangerous investment depending on how you're investing. Um, 
And that doesn't mean bad. Dangerous is just, you know, technically it's risky. It doesn't mean it's bad. It means that if you have, if you can handle the risk, go for it. So, um, for example, it's generally considered much riskier to invest in a house to flip it than it is to invest in a house to earn income on it. Okay. Um, because it's, uh, it's a little, you don't have to, when you're investing in a house to flip it, you have to pay that mortgage until it's sold and you're paying interest on that mortgage and you're going to put a bunch of money into the house and then you're going to count on it selling for a certain thing. And if the market doesn't give you that. It's almost like day trading. It, yeah, in a sense, in a sense, it, it, as long as you have the, the funds to deal with it, it can be a great thing to do. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine just bought a house that was a flip and they, they have no problem with how they know pretty much how much the person that did that made off of it. And they're fine with that. They, yeah. they got a house they wanted. Right. Sure. And, uh, and that person did the work. They bought a house for $130,000. They put a hundred thousand dollars worth of work into it and then sold it for three fifty. Yeah. They made a hundred thousand dollars in like two months. Yeah. That's a great deal. It's not but, a great deal. But you could start ripping it up and realize, oh, geez, we got to replace this too. And oh, man, we like, and now you're down to the foundation and yeah. you got to do more work than you planned on. And you also got to carry this mortgage and pay for all the work to be done. So when gotta, you do sell it, you're breaking even. Yeah. And, and, and also during that time, you could barely afford to just live. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you're stressed because you're physically doing a lot of work. Yeah. So there's, um, but real estate can be a great investment. And it can be something that you directly own. You can invest in real estate through like a, a real estate investment trust, which is just a bunch of people putting their money together for uh, the purpose of uh, investing in real estate. Um, do you and, recommend, do, do you advise people on like possibly branching out into real estate investment or pretty much you don't go down? Yeah, as part of my financial planning practice, um, we'll help them evaluate the risk and value of an investment. I, I wouldn't say that I'm not the person making the decision for them at okay. all. Um, but I will say as a fiduciary, I, I do believe it's in your best interest. And, um, you know, based on these numbers, it looks like the best investment you can make with that money right now. Okay. So, um, but, but I, but I won't just say yes, buy it. Okay. <laughs> you know, kind of give them the, the necessary, uh, statistical analysis on the probability of success. Sure. Um, go over for me real quick, um, sort of the different types of portfolios, like, like what are the different things? Like people have mutual funds, sure. and then there's four hundred one k's, and then there's yeah. IRAs, and then there's so sort of let's kind of break up the difference about what each one is used for. You know, why would you want one over another? Do you want all of them? That kind of thing. Sure, um, I'm gonna break it into three main categories right. because there's so many. Like so, so four there's a four hundred one k, a four hundred three b, a four a four fifty seven. An IRA, a SEP IRA, a simple IRA, that all kind of do the same thing. So I'm not going to get it. And sure, there's different rules to. around them, but I'm not going to get into yeah. each separate thing. But what I will say is that there are, there's taxable accounts, um, there's tax deferred accounts, uh, and then there's generally called tax advantaged accounts. So uh, a taxable account just means that you pay some sort of taxes on the growth in the account. So that's when you just own a brokerage account or own a mutual fund or own a stock or bond or whatever it is. Um, if, if you own a stock, it goes up, you sell it, you pay taxes on that growth. Um, so that's the simplest thing. Um, a tax deferred account is something like a 401k or an IRA, um, where the money you invest into that account, a certain amount of it, depending on the type of account is tax deductible. So if you're making a hundred thousand dollars a year and you put $20,000 into an account like that, um, you're only taxed on 80,000 minus any other deductions. Mm -hmm. Um, but then that money all grows, and then when you take it back out, you have to pay those taxes. But there's an advantage to that, which is you're able to invest more money than you otherwise would, and uh, the way compounding interest works is that money's gonna grow at a faster rate. 
now you have to pay taxes on it later, but if it grows enough, then that's you, you still won on that deal, gotcha. right? Because you'd be um, paying taxes, you're just paying later instead of now. Exactly. It's the same tax rate. Yeah, well, probably. I mean, it's probably actually, probably not, but we don't know what it's going to be. <laughs> you know, it's kind of hard to predict. Sure. The tax rates always change. Um, you know, there's a current, there's a new tax uh, law in effect that will sunset after 10 years, but um, we don't know what's really going to happen. What I will say is the taxes are historically low right now, mm-hmm. um, and there was just a historically high government stimulus package. So if I don't, I can't tell you what to expect of taxes in the next 10 years, but if I had to put my money on something, it'd probably be higher, right? They're collecting less and they spent more. They got to fix that somehow okay. eventually, right? Um, the third type of account, like a tax advantaged account, um, there's a few types of these uh, examples are uh, like a Roth IRA, a 529 for college savings. Um, certain types of insurance products are considered uh, this way. Um, and, th- and there's others too, but uh, municipal bonds kind of work this way, although differently. And the idea here is that this is money that you invest after you already paid taxes on it, but you don't have to pay taxes on the growth. Mm-hmm. Um, with municipal bonds, you don't have to pay taxes on the dividends um, or, or the uh, yield. Um, but if the value of a bond grows, you'd have to pay taxes on that. But in a Roth IRA, you can put currently, depending on there's income limits, you, you can't make millions of dollars and have a Roth, and invest directly in a Roth IRA. Um, there's some back-end ways of doing that, but I don't need to get into the weeds here. Um, and the idea there is you can put up to $6,000 a year in that account, and it grows tax-deferred, and you never have to pay the taxes on that again. Okay. So you're not getting the tax savings now, but all that growth, like, you know, you don't have to spend it down in retirement. There, that 10-year rule of inheritance applies to the kids, but they don't have to pay taxes on it. So it doesn't, you know, it's not as right. bad to, oh, you have to take all this money. It's like, all right, but it's not taxable. So thanks. Yeah, <laughs> cool. yeah. um, and then they can invest it how, how they choose. Um, so there's different reasons why folks in different situations might choose different accounts. Um, but general rule of, of thumb is if, if you can invest in a Roth IRA and you think your taxes are currently lower significantly, especially then they're going to be down the road or you're going to be invested for a really, really long time to allow that money to compound a whole bunch of times. Um, then that's probably a really good investment. Hmm. Um, if you are 60 years old at your peak earnings, your taxes are never been higher and you expect to live off of significantly less in retirement, then you want to do everything you can to defer your taxes to later okay. because you're going to pay less taxes later. Um, and of course, those are generalizations, as always the case. It depends. But yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's a lot. That's a lot to think about. Taxes really do pay a big part. It's just uh, get a four hundred one k. Well, yeah. let's think about that for a minute. Well, and that's why again, we're going back to what we were talking about before about the my value isn't out there evaluating a company. My yeah. value is helping people no, make now I, decisions. Now, right? now I get it. Right <laughs> so, now I see it. Yeah, so. yeah. It's about yeah. You have this money. And yeah. It all. It's all very personal. Yeah. If, yeah. If I if I manage to get you an extra one percent annual rate of return on an account, that's awesome. But if I put it in the wrong account, you got to pay thirty percent more in taxes. Did that matter? Yeah. <laughs> so 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 it, it all matters, right? Yeah. It all, it all, it's a very dynamic situation. Yeah. When did you know you wanted to deal with um, money? <laughs> I didn't. Uh, so I uh, I was recruited into the industry out of college, and I thought, eh, you know, whatever. There's not that much risk in doing this right now, and uh, it's not necessarily what I want to do. You took you took you took marketing though, right? Economics. Uh, economics I, I took I'm all sorry. marketing class, but then I, 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 I took economics. Yeah. Um, I 
Wait, did uh, you take it just because you're interested in it, or? Uh, yeah, it's it's a, I yeah, I'm I'm a nerd. I love uh, science. I love social sciences. Uh, economics is commonly thought of as a business school thing. It's actually a social science. Um, okay. So, but usually the classes are like at least in the business school building, which was the case in my school. It's a social science that's in the business school building. Um, and um, I just enjoy the numbers. Okay. And I enjoy understanding how people interact with each other and why they make decisions. And economics at its core is using um, numbers to explain why people make decisions. Um, so I just found that to be really interesting. Um, what I wanted to get into when I was in school was uh, consulting small businesses and helping them determine uh, mostly where to open. Um, a lot of people open small businesses in the town they live because that's where they live. They, they don't they don't think a lot about where where is there a market for what I'm providing, yeah. right? Uh, but really smart people and, and big companies they spend off you know thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year on these big consulting firms to tell them open up in these cities, but not only not only open up in Boston, but you should be you know out west of Boston. This company should be on the North Shore, and this company should be you know out in Springfield, or you know, and, and they help people. And there's reasons for that, right? They're looking at the the people around, and and what the needs are of the people in that community. Um, and small businesses, mom and pop shops and such, they just open where they can afford rent and hope yeah. people want it, right? Yeah. And uh, and I love small businesses. I love, you know, obviously I love being part of the chamber and, and, yeah. and seeing all these people thriving and helping each other out more than bigger businesses do. And um, so, so for me, it, it, it's exciting watching that. So I was thinking maybe I could provide some of this expert analysis and help these people who, you know, they want to open up... Uh, you know, a sandwich shop and, and I can do a little bit of analysis and say, hey, listen, this, you know, the the general, the, the, the people in this area, the, they're not the type of people that buy a lot of sandwiches and there's four sandwich shops around here. Uh, maybe, maybe try this town on for size, you know, and that's a, a silly example, but that's that's kind of what I thought would, would be best. Um, and it probably, uh, it'd be impossible to write out of school uh, with no work experience to, to start doing that anyway. Um, so maybe that'll be a second career for me doing something okay. like that. Um, but I was recruited into doing this. It's an incredibly crazy job to start doing, right? You get paid off of the assets you manage. And when you start on day one, that's zero. So I got, I got paid a percentage of zero. And it doesn't really matter what that percentage is because any percentage of zero is zero. Right. So, um, so that was crazy. And I found that I, I kind of enjoyed educating people on how money works. I found there's, um, there's certainly a lot of people in, in my industry who I won't say are necessarily bad actors, but they maybe don't, either don't know how to do the best job or just a little bit more concerned about themselves than right. the clients. And, uh, and I realized, geez, I can really set myself apart from these people because I truly do care. And I think people pick that up when they talk to me. So... Um, and I'm going to spend more time than a lot of these other folks becoming an expert. So um, this isn't that bad of a career. So I, I struggled for through the first few years and came out of the other of the other side um, without being completely broke. <laughs> and, and, and now, uh, you know, now I, now I make an OK living and still still very much in growth mode. But yeah. um, I, I'm lucky enough to have 
when I was first starting, I had recently met my now wife, um, and she's a nurse, and that's a nice, solid career. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that sure. kind of balanced for a few years and allowed me to take a little bit more risk. Cool. Now she's actually cut down her work a little bit okay. um, to, okay. to raise our child. So, um, so that's what got me into it. I actually I had the feeling that I think a lot of people have about the industry where you know, the things that I heard about people selling investments was what you read in the paper and things only make the paper when someone did something awful. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> so I wasn't thinking, man, there's all these wonderful people helping people invest for their time. And there are, but I only read about Enron and all these, these terrible financial crises and how people were getting rich off of, uh, everyday common folks. And so I kind of had a negative taste in my mouth and um, and of course there are, there are some, some folks not doing the best by others, but, um, that's but, true in every industry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I always remember making the joke with, uh, with my, my father as an, an attorney and, um, and I think he was the one that originally told me the joke that it's, you know, 99% of attorneys give the rest of them a bad name. So, but, but, but really it's, it's, it's a very select few that, yeah. that are actually bad actors, but those are the ones that you hear about. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, tell me about um, New England Financials. What's, what's what, Yeah. You know, so New England Financials has been around West Hartford a really long time. Um, and I was actually kind of surprised when I came in and joined the chamber that no one else was really involved. There were a couple people that were a little involved, but um, I think over 100 years they've been in West yeah. Hartford. I mean, it's been wow. around a really long time. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a smaller group of people. I mean, there's, I shouldn't say smaller. Um, in, in our office alone, there's probably 20 advisors, and, and then we have a bunch of satellite offices. We're actually part of a, a larger company, Bay State Financial, that's out of okay. Boston. Yep. Um, so we're um, there uh, in the Hancock Building in Boston, and I, I love going up there. They're, we have amazing resources from them, but we get to operate as the small independent doing the financial group, right? Um, and it's a lot of people kind of doing running their own practices. There's, there's, there's folks of all types. Uh, like I, I was mentioning before how I, I refer different cases. We have a group that all they really do is 401k plans or okay. I should say employer benefit plans because there's different types that they do. But they don't really work with everyday people like I do. And sometimes if they run into a situation like that, unless it's a really big case, they'll just pass it off to someone else to uh, handle. Uh, the guy in the office next door to mine, he's licensed to do exactly what I do, but he doesn't. Um, mm -hmm. He... Uh, help small businesses with their health insurance plans okay. primarily and then some other like you know group life or disability as well um, and then there's a decent amount I mean I, I would say half the people in the office do more of what I do which is helping individuals and families prepare for retirement or sending kids to college or yeah. or financial planning um, uh, and it's a and it's a great group of group of folks there um, that I really enjoy. I found this group about a year and a half ago. It was, uh, I think, October of uh, 2018 that I joined uh, New England Financial Group. Okay. So I had been doing this for about five years before that, okay. and uh, I thought it was time for a change. Um, Were you with another company at the time? Yeah, I was with a company uh, called Forrester's Financial, which okay. um, is no longer in existence as they were. They All those guys are still working at... Um, they're, they kind of moved into different groups, um, but um, they, it, it's a good company. They uh, are based out of, uh, they have like a, their parent company is a Canadian insurance company. Okay. They just weren't quite big enough to do what I wanted to do, and they didn't quite offer enough at the time um, for, for me to do that, but 
Um, that's where I got my start. I learned a lot from a lot of great people there and, and you know, and enjoyed the time I spent there. It's just, it was just time to do something different. Do you get referrals from like within Bay State? Like somebody calls like the main number and they kind of like, oh, uh, Eric would be a great match for you. Let me put that, it on the line. That can happen. But or usually the reason people are calling is because of a very specific advisor's experience with a client's experience with an advisor. So they're getting referred directly to a client. Um, but every now and then, as a matter of fact, I, that, that just happened this week. And it, it's pretty rare that it happens. So it's kind of an anomaly that you would ask that. And <laughs> that just happened. But um, where I, someone had a client who passed away and left some money to some kids. And this person isn't really in growth mode right now. They're just managing their client assets and um, called on me and, and another colleague of mine and said, hey, you know, you guys, I, I trust you guys. Can you, can you two work together and handle this case? Which was kind of an interesting ask, but I said, yeah, of course. Sure. I, I like that guy. Sure, I'll work with him. Um, so we do a little bit of partnering up like that. You know, we work in teams sometimes too. Okay. Um, but most of it is, it really, it's in, the industry is interesting because although there's people that work for different companies, everyone's kind of doing their own thing. Sometimes they team up, team up and truly work as a team, and I do that with some folks, but um, my clients are mostly my clients. Um, they don't really think of me as New England Financial Group. They think of me as Eric Bergen. And I, yeah. I brand myself I that, that way. Yeah. My, my website is ericbergen.com. It is, it's not, yeah. There is a New England Financial Group.com. It's actually any, what, nefgrp.com is, okay. is the group's website. But, um, but I brand myself as me because that's what my clients think of. And they aren't working with me because I work at New England Financial Group. They're working at me because we get along or they trust my service. Um, part of what makes me as good as I am is the group that I work with, but they don't care about that. Sure. <laughs> they just care that I'm as good as I am. Yeah. Because I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a real personal thing. I mean, they got this, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's money, it's their lives yeah. and, and you need to trust somebody. So yeah, I can see where your brand is definitely you. It, it's, it's important. And, and I develop close, close personal relationships with my clients. You yeah. know, I, I've been to multiple friends givings at, at clients' houses. Yeah. <laughs> who I didn't know before they became a client, but they just, yeah. you know, I know everything about them in a pretty personal way and they appreciate it. Um, so when you get, when you get referred people say like, Oh, you got to go see Eric Bergen. You don't got to go like, Oh, go to New England financial and ask for Eric. It's always, no, Eric, it's, it's just Eric's here, first. My Here's clients mostly have my cell phone. They yeah. say, they say here, you know, call or text this guy, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. and, and they find out who you work for days later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As, as a matter of fact, I, I, don't, I don't think they ever ask. Yeah. I, I tell them, you know, it, yeah, it's important for them to know there's a lot of disclosures because, yeah, uh, there's yeah. clearing firms and different groups that we, we work through. Um, you know, everyone for the most part clears through either a corporate RIA or broker dealer, which again, language that doesn't quite matter to, <laughs> to this conversation. Yeah. But, um, so all of that stuff is, is certainly disclosed, uh, as part of the process, but I don't think that's really what, what clients are thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah, no, that's good. Listen, I had a really great conversation. This is awesome. I'm going to let you this go. This is really fun. But this was, this was a lot of fun. So folks, if you want to reach out to Eric and, uh, cause this, I learned a lot, I got to tell you. So that was I'm awesome. Glad. I'm glad. But, uh, how can people get a hold of you? So, uh, you can look online. It's, uh, ericbergen.com, uh, last name B E R G E N N, um, Eric with a C. Um, and I gotta check my two N's. Yeah, I gotta check. I gotta check how you're spelled yeah. in my phone book. Che- yeah, check your phone. I gotta check, check your contact. I gotta check book. that out. Um, it's it's unusual. Um, there's not a lot of what not a lot that? of Bergens in the world. What was that? What's that? It's it's a Norwegian name. Okay, um, I can see. You it. can actually you can Google can King Bergen. Um, okay. and you'll find. Oh, get out. King Rel- of Norway. Yeah, Relative? I don't think we're all, I mean, we might be related. Oh, okay. I don't know. It's, I think I it's with one N. I think our family name was changed to Ellis Island a long time ago because 
the only other two end people in, in the world are our relatives. I, I, haven't, okay. I haven't yet to find someone who's not. Um, and there's not a lot of us. Um, King Bergen. That's cool. I think there's three in my generation. I'm going to call you that from now so, on. Yeah. Yeah. My, my, yeah, but check it out. So, so yeah, you, can, yeah. you can look at my yeah. website. Uh, you can, you know, my, my office number is 860-313-4818. And, uh, or you can email me at ebergen at baystatefinancial.com. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to mention? Any good tips? Any uh, like that? Anything you want people to know? Um, I mean, I just want to say thank you. Um, yeah. Check out Direct Line Media. Right? Yeah, there we go. Right now, the uh, yeah. this has been a really cool experience. I think cool. that. I'm glad you like it. Um, yeah, it was fun. You know, I, I guess uh, assuming that anyone, because uh, we've been talking a while now, so yeah. assuming that anyone is still interested and involved in 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 this conversation. Um, the only other thing that I would say is that there's there's a lot going on in the world right now, and I think that it'd be yeah. we'd both kind of be remiss not to Thank not you. to at least touch on the on the subject of uh, social justice and specifically on what's happening in the communities of, of people of color right now. I think that um, it's really hard to have some of these conversations, right? We're uh, we're a couple of white guys sitting across from each other having a conversation about money which is mm. specifically a topic mm. like, you know, we talk about the idea of, of privilege and people being uh, impacted in certain ways. Um, you know, we have never had a hard time getting a loan because of the color of our skin. And we've never had a hard time getting access to normal things because of that. And I think that while there's a lot of protests around the world right now and a lot of people that really feel slighted and have been slighted, um, it's important to recognize that. And I would ask that anyone that, that's still listening and, you know, especially if, if what I'm saying right now makes you uncomfortable and think, I don't, you know, that, that doesn't matter, you know, like that, that's overhyped. Um, there's, look into it, do a little bit of research and, and make sure to actually talk to your friends, talk to people of color in your community, because there's a lot to learn um, from other people's experiences. And uh, just like I don't know about your experiences in life, um, but it hasn't, uh, our experiences aren't different solely because of what we look like from each other, right? Um, so as much as I, I've had plenty of hardships, I worked my butt off to get to where I am today, but I've had certain advantages, mm -hmm. not because of who I am or how I act, right? And, and, and it's important to acknowledge that and, and learn about other people's experiences and, and try to become informed from that. Uh, you know, thank you're right. Thank you for bringing that up. Because before we sat down, we did touch on it a little bit. Yeah. Um, to comment on that, I, th I think, um, you know, seeing the recent event of, of George Floyd, mm. I, I think um, we've seen other video. Yeah. Of, That's not the first one, right? Of, it's not the first one. But, but for whatever reason, that I, I don't know why that one's sticking. And, and I feel everybody's not there's no denial that there was that because other events happen and there's been denial oh this was yeah that, people this, arguing this about guy well, problem, or this yeah. happened but but there's been a consensus throughout everybody i've spoken with and everybody i've heard that um that was completely unjust and uncalled for in every yeah. in every way yeah um and, and i think it's a time now where now we're finally all of us are on the same page with that yeah, most. That, I, most. Yeah. I'm going to say the majority. Yeah, because it think has that's... been very split in the past. But I think the majority is now leaning. That's yeah. okay. There is injustices. This is the first time I've seen mm -hmm. the majority of people I've spoken with, or heard on the radio, or wherever. Yeah. Um, 
that they're that they're this is unjust and it was uncalled for and it's wrong and we need to keep having that discussion because it's it's always been a 50 50 split in the past right. and i think that's that's a huge turning point yeah. that the majority of people are now finally seeing that yeah. there's huge injustices in the world yeah we, we certainly have never seen police officers and other law enforcement officers taking a knee with protesters mm. no and that's a line you know there's a brotherhood within the police right sure. and no matter how you feel about that some people think that's a great thing some people think it's a terrible thing but but it's certainly a thing that exists and for people to you know for police officers to to lock arms and kneel with protesters who are protesting against police officers actions that is making a much bigger statement mm-hmm. than just getting people who normally fall on the other side of the debate mm-hmm. right um and uh and i really hope that people don't just think of this as a um a, an event but instead look at this as an opportunity for a cultural change mm-hmm. and to keep having these uncomfortable conversations mm-hmm. because um, as much as right now, I, I think that you and I both seem pretty comfortable having this conversation, even among people that are supportive of, of the cause, I feel like some of them are incredibly uncomfortable having the conversation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think it's really important to not, um, if, if you get all the numbers, it's still not your job to go out there and speak for others. It's, it's our job to amplify the voices of people who haven't been heard in the past and who have been mistreated. Um, so I'm not an expert on this and I'm not someone who, who necessarily should be out talking on this, but I am someone that I think should be as an ally, uh, to specifically the black community right now. Um, that it, it certainly helps if I'm at least bringing up the conversation and allowing other people to go listen to people who have been impacted by stuff like this, because it's, it's such a big deal. This is, uh, this is people's lives and, and liberty that, that's really being crushed by this. And I think having conversations is, is important. You don't have to, you still, you can walk away and still not agree with each other. Sure. But, but progress but, was made then. But right? progress was made if you were able to have a civil conversation and talk yeah. about your beliefs, my beliefs, what happened, uh, yeah. and just get that out in the open and get that out in the clear yeah. without um, a criticism or, or anything of that nature of telling somebody else that that's wrong. It, it just needs to just be conversations. And I, and I think that's starting to happen a lot more now. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, uh, aside from folks who have serious mental illnesses, we're all capable of empathy. Mm-hmm. And I don't think now is a good time not to choose empathy. Right. Um, I think it's important to understand how people are feeling, mm-hmm. even if you disagree. And I think that most people, if, if they disagree, take the time to listen and empathize um, they'll at least understand, um, and, and, and perhaps even come around. Um, but you know, your, your beliefs are your beliefs, but, um, but empathizing with other human beings should never be something that you avoid. I agree. Yeah. And I agree. And, and, and I'm not saying that people aren't empathizing during these conversations, but they still have different values because they've been living with those values for whatever or beliefs or whatever the words you want to use. Exactly. Um, 
and maybe they think about because you know you've heard this conversation too they're thinking about now the violence and well yeah you know the businesses that are shut down well oh, and it's tough right? and that and that's a hard thing but i i don't think that's the yeah. the main topic right now um, i don't think it should be and also it's important not to equate certain things that are happening with them with other things that are happening right mm-hmm. as a matter of fact i talked on a very different topic why it's important not to think that correlation necessarily pins people in the same group right and yes there are protests and yes sometimes during these protests there are you know riots and looting breaking out not all of the riots and looters are part of the protests exactly and also um many aren't not only aren't part of the protests but are very much not part of the black community um and when you equate the looting and the rioting to the protesting, then and the protesting is either people from or on behalf of and allies to the black community, then you're blaming the black community who's going through this terrible injustice for, uh, for looting and rioting when they're mourning. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, it's really important mm-hmm. not to not to allow those two things to become conflated, mm-hmm. I think. But no, I, I really appreciate um, your perspective on this and, and the fact that we're able to just air it out a little bit, you know, and, yeah. and hopefully uh, if, 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 if folks are um, listening and, and watching and um, whether or not they're agreeing or having a hard time hearing what we're saying, hopefully this just has a small impact and, and you know, yeah. and, and hopefully the... Um, go out and, and listen to to leaders and, and folks in the community that's being most affected. And really listen to yourself. I think this is a time to really just, you know, turn off the TV and the news and, and sit quietly and, and really kind of reflect on everything that's happened in the past week and really dig deep and really what do you feel about everything that's happening? Yeah. I, I, you really need to kind of look inside yourself. Introspection goes a long way. Yeah, it really, really does because I know I did. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's important to really find out really what your beliefs are. You know, don't, don't believe something just because that's what your dad did or that's what, whatever. I mean, really dig deep and, and um, yeah. you know, come back with, with um, you know, your thoughts and, and, and express those to, to the other people when you're having these conversations. Because it's, um, it's, it's um, it hasn't been an easy week. No, and and honestly, I, I I hope that it continues to not be easy because mm. you know mm-hmm. we're you know we're both entrepreneurial folks and and it's kind of well known in the entrepreneurial community that you know nothing that's worth it comes easy and you have to become uncomfortable to get better at something right. This falls right in line with that. We have to get comfortable, and it's not going to be easy, but it's the only way to make progress and get better. So it's important to make ourselves uncomfortable and until it gets comfortable. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and, uh, there is a lot of people talking and, and this morning's meeting, I think, uh, was yeah. just, um, a good start to the day. Yeah. To, uh, know and, that and seeing it come from a people of vastly different backgrounds, vastly different ages, backgrounds. demographics. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, that's, I mean, we live in a community that I think is a little bit more in touch with that than most and many, mm-hmm. but, um, uh, but still, it's, it's always positive um, to see people making that effort. Um, yeah, 
Awesome. All right. Well, yeah, that <laughs> got real heavy at the end there, but, uh, but you know, I'm glad. I'm glad, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we got to bring that up. I, I think uh, I, I think it was important. Uh, again, thank you so much for being on here and, and talking about all your wisdom about the financial yeah. markets and what people should do and shouldn't do and yeah. uh, what they should expect for the future. And, and 20, remember, people, twenty years is a long time. So put that money away. But a lot uh, can happen. Yeah, a lot can happen. A lot can happen uh, in twenty years. So. The time is the, the, the biggest factor. So. Yeah. Get, get, get going on the right direction now. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody. And listen, everybody out there, uh, if you are still listening, and I hope you will, uh, you know, really have a great a great week, rest of the week, whenever you listen to this. Um, really think about the events that are going on. Really be kind to each other. Be friendly to each other. Talk with each other. Listen. And, and, and most importantly, really listen to each other about where they're coming from, why they feel the way they feel. And um, just, uh, um, you know, in the words of Eric Feeney, uh, be a good friend. That's it, everybody. Thanks very much for listening. We'll see you later.